Hey, everyone. I just want to let you know that we will be covering some sensitive topics on this episode. So if you're listening with children, I would encourage you to listen to this one through first by yourself and then determine if it's something that you want your children to listen to. Comparing history with Hollywood. Despite this semi-official tagline for the Based on a True Story podcast, from time to time, I like to do something different. That's why I'll periodically take a look at the history behind a movie before that movie is released. If the concept of the Based on a True Story podcast is to learn the true story behind your favorite films, the concept behind releasing an episode about an as-yet-to-be-released film is to give you the true story before you go to see it. That way you won't have any spoilers to the movie when you see it for the first time, and you'll also be able to do your own comparison of how accurate the film was to history. And we've done that for some great movies like Hidden Figures, Deepwater Horizon, and Anthropoid. On February 20th, 2017, episode 40 of the Based on a True Story podcast was released as one of those future-looking episodes. The movie we were looking at was Bitter Harvest, which was released in the United States four days later on February 24th. In that episode, we learned more about the historical story surrounding a little-known event in history. Bitter Harvest tells a story during Holodomor, a man-made famine in Ukraine during the 20th century. If you haven't heard that episode, you can listen to it over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. After that episode was released, I had the honor of chatting with Richard Bakensky Hoover. He was the writer and producer for Bitter Harvest. So as you can probably guess by now, this episode is a special one as we not only return to one of the movies we looked at before it's released for the first time, but we do so with the help of the man who wrote the movie. Now, Richard opted not for a recorded interview, but instead he shared his own story with me, so in turn, I could share it with you, so we might get deeper into the story behind the movie. Now, in a base on a true story first, let's take a few moments to get an exclusive peek at what it's like to create a movie that's based on a true story, as well as getting a much deeper understanding of the story behind Bitter Harvest. It's time for Two Truths and a Lie. Listen closely for the two truths scattered throughout the episode. Then, by a process of elimination, you'll know which one was a lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. Okay, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one. Some of the scenes in the movie pay tribute to Richard's own family. Number two. The two main characters, Yuri and Natalka, were real people. Number three. The New York Times reporter Walter Durante helped cover up Holodomor for the rest of the world by denying any reports of a famine in Ukraine. Now before we get back to the show, I want to let you know that if you're listening to this on the day it's released, then tomorrow, June 13th, 2017, is the day that you can pick up a copy of Bitter Harvest on DVD or on demand through Google Play, Amazon, iTunes, or really anywhere that you buy movies. Since Bitter Harvest had a limited theatrical release, I realize not everyone may have had the chance to see it. For example, in my case, it only had a couple showings at one theater in the city that I live in. 
But as you're listening, if there's parts you're curious about or want to see on screen, now you can do that. I'll include links to where you can get the movie over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. And with that, let's dig deeper into the true story behind Bitter Harvest. Richard Bikinski Hoover was one of 10 children born to Ukrainian Yaroslav Bikinski and Canadian Ada Hoover. That's nine boys and one girl. As a child, Richard was always great at telling stories, but he didn't grow up wanting to be a writer. As Richard explained to me, I'm an artist. My dream was to study in a great art school. As is the case for many of us, life happened, and ultimately he was never able to see the dream of attending art school to fruition. Instead, he had to find jobs to pay the bills. Then at the age of 30, he did something he probably never could have imagined doing when he was a child. Richard became an actor. This required him to read countless scripts and spend long hours studying, not art, but acting workshops. As he was studying, he started to see a trend of other Ukrainians throughout history who had themselves risen from the peasant class to become well-educated in arts and poetry or science in the church. As is perfectly normal for anyone, Richard started to see some similarities between these Ukrainians and himself, a half-Ukrainian, half-Canadian, whose dream of attending art school was never realized because of the need to put food on the table. In particular, one piece of Ukrainian history really stuck with Richard. That was, of course, what we now know as Holodomor. Now, we covered Holodomor in more detail in the first Bitter Harvest episode, so I won't actually repeat all of those details here. But essentially, the term Holodomor means murder by hunger, and it's a dark spot on world history. Much like the Holocaust that killed millions of Jews at the hands of Nazi Germany, Holodomor saw millions of Ukrainians die from either execution or starvation. Most historians consider Holodomor to have taken place between the years 1932 and 1933, but mostly that's because that's when the height of the murders took place during Stalin's Soviet Russia's rise to industrialism. With Ukrainian blood on his father's side, Richard knew about Holodomor, but as an artist, there was more than that. This horrible blemish on the face of history was something that struck a note as he continually uncovered countless stories of other Ukrainian artists, scientists, or highly educated people who were systematically murdered. In particular, one of Richard's ancestors, Yulian Bikinsky, worked hard to see an independent Ukraine. He was the ambassador from Ukraine to the United States from 1919 to 1921. As a little side note here, Yulian was also a writer. One of Yulian's books, called Ukraine Eridentia, was all about an independent Ukraine. So there might not be official documentation from the Soviet government mentioning that book as the cause for Stalin's wanting Yulian silenced, but that doesn't mean it didn't exist or that that wasn't the case. Unfortunately, because Stalin's regime hid everything from the world so well, there's a lot of documentation we just don't have. Remember that the entire existence of Holodomor wasn't really known around the world until much of the Soviet's documentation was seen by the world for the first time after the Soviet Union fell in the 1990s. What we do know is that Yulian's book infuriated Stalin. We also know 
what Yulian's fate was. Yulian would end up being sent to a gulag or a prison camp in a region that's now divided between eastern Finland and western Russia called Karelia. He never returned. After growing up in Kingston, Ontario, Richard spent many years of his adult life traveling across Ukraine. Both Ukrainian on his father's side and a talented artist, Richard sympathized with the stories of creatives being targeted by Stalin during Holodomor. The more he heard the stories of what it was like during Holodomor, the more he knew it was a story that needed to be told. Not just a story of what happened, but a story of what it was like for the people who had to live through it. Richard recalled, quote, I traveled all over Ukraine for many years. I became so compassionate to tell the Holodomor story that's locked up in many faces, the silent pain in the gazing looks. Many, I sense, have been haunted by those stories. I was told so many first-hand stories by elders and their families with tears in their eyes as they shared their stories, end quote. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earnin. As Richard traveled across Ukraine, he'd often find himself sketching life around him, whether it was on a train, on a bus, plane, or in a cafe. With a target painted on the back of artists and other creatives by Stalin during Holodomor, Richard's own artistic passion was something he wanted to write into the film. That's why, in the movie, even though Yuri is a fictional character, he is artistically talented. For example, there's a scene where the main character, Max Iron's portrayal of Yuri, is traveling to Kiev and passes the time on the train by sketching. That's similar to Richard's own life as he traveled across Ukraine. Getting a film written, though, is easier said than done. As he traveled, Richard continued reading Ukrainian history, attending functions and, of course, face-to-face -face conversations with many people who were old enough and fortunate enough to have survived Holodomor themselves, or had ancestors who had. All the while, he was amassing sketches and notes from the stories that he was collecting. Of course, coming up with the story is only one part of getting the movie made. This is especially true for a film like Bitter Harvest. It's the very first feature film in English on the subject of Holodomor. And when you're the first of anything, it's not easy. After all, in an age when nearly every other movie hitting theaters seems to be some sort of a franchise, it's not easy to convince someone to fund something that, quite frankly, 
isn't almost guaranteed to make their money back thanks to being an already established franchise. It was a mountain to overcome, and one that Richard knew would first require funding. After knocking on many doors, finally, he found the right door. Behind that figurative door was Ian Inatovich, who now owns New Generation Capital. To date, Bitter Harvest is the only film Ian has funded as a producer and is someone who Richard fondly mentions as, quote, a champ in my eyes, end quote. With funding secured, the story Richard had already started in his travels had a promising future. He continued refining the story while Ian kept an eye on what was being written, allowing the story to progress naturally. Richard, who had been taking notes in pen, pencil, and tons of sketches, taught himself how to type so he could write the story. It was a slow, thought-out process of taking all the various notes and sketches, laying out plot lines, scenes, and the history that he'd read about and learned from people firsthand across Ukraine and translate that into a story. During the process, he sent the story, which was still very much a work in progress at this point, to the experienced and extremely talented director, George Mediluk. Richard and George had worked together about 15 years prior on a low-budget Canadian film called Men of Means, and that was released in 1998. While working on that film, Richard was still paying the bills by acting, but the two struck up a friendship because of their shared Ukrainian heritage. So when it came to get a talented Ukrainian storyteller's perspective on his new film, there was perhaps no one better for Richard to reach out to than George Medeluk. When I sent George Medeluk the script, he jumped all over it, Richard said. My investor was convinced and flew to Vancouver to meet George as he was directing a TV series episode. In all, after the original story was written, Richard wrote nine drafts of the screenplay. Then, on the final script, Richard and George teamed up to get it to a point to where it was ready for shooting. During all of this time, Richard was not only working on the story, but working hard to find teams, crews, Ukrainian actors, and locations for the film. As Richard explained to me, quote, Bottom line, in 83 years, there has never been a film in English telling this story. I thought, well, if I don't tackle it, who else will? So with my compassion, hard research, and drive, I felt unstoppable, end quote. Richard continued, quote, I even went alone to the River Dnieper and sat with the famous grave statue of Ukraine's famous artist, the poet Taras Shevchenko. Alone with my script in my hand, I sat at the foot of the tall statue and said a prayer to his spirit and God, help me make this film. I even had the script blessed with holy water when I decided to pop into a Kiev Orthodox Ukrainian church one day, end quote. The story told in Bitter Harvest follows two lovers, Yuri and Natalka. Yuri is played by Max Irons, as we learned earlier, and Natalka is portrayed by Samantha Barks. While Yuri and Natalka's story wasn't a true story that we can prove with documentation, it's one that certainly could have happened. Similar to Richard's ancestor, Yulian Bikinsky, in his fate, there were countless scores of Ukrainians who were deemed enemy of the people. These people were sent to horrible places like Solovets Island in the White Sea, Komia, or Solovetsky Monastery, which was built in the 15th century but was converted to a prison in northern Russia. Like the Holocaust, the loss of life was 
so massive that we simply don't know exactly how many people were killed in such ways. We know of some famous people of the time who were sent to prison camps or even their deaths. Many of these were creative people like Les Kerbas, a writer and theater director. Stalin targeted creatives in particular because their works were essentially uncovering many of the horrible things the Soviets were doing. In his eyes, any and all anti-Soviet propaganda must be stopped. So the way he did this was to silence the people creating it. Richard wanted to pay tribute to artists like Les and did so with the character of Mykola, who's played by Anurin Barnard in the film. As Richard explained, quote, Mykola shoots himself reflecting Mykola Klyovi, who did this in real life. Gurry in prison is a metaphor for thousands who suffered that fate. Most killed en masse in the forest and tortured in Solovets Gulag and other Soviet hellholes, end quote. Himself an artist, the stories of the artists, musicians, and priests stood out to Richard. Stories that most of the world has simply forgotten with time. These are the sort of stories that Richard read about and heard during his travels. Was it murder by hunger, like the name Holodomor suggests? Or was it more than that? There seemed to have been a target in particular on those who were at the forefront of Ukrainian culture. Even the use and study of the Ukrainian language was banned. As Richard stated, quote, Ukraine was more than starved. It was culturally and ethnically cut down, like its own great symbolic sunflower. First, the head chopped down symbolically. Those were the brains, the intellectuals, artists, and poets. Then, as the head fell and instilled fear into the countryside, the many leaves of the sunflower were the peasants, the common kulaks. These were the small farm owners, sometimes only with one cow and a few chickens. As Richard continued to explain, quote, These kulaks, many of whom were dubbed enemies of the people, along with Cossack Ukrainian patriots or nationalist headstrong masses rebelled by the thousands, including many women, this shows the bravery of the peasants and Kulak and Cossacks, and that's what I wanted to show in the movie, end quote. These rebellions, or really anything the Soviets saw as disobedience, was met with brutal and horrific repercussions. While plenty of executions were done by gunshots, Stalin's preferred method of murder was starvation and torture. This not only helped impose a menacing fear into the Ukrainian people, it also saved the Soviet army the munitions it cost to murder countless people. Crops and food were confiscated and used to feed the Soviet soldiers, Moscow, and others who were deemed good citizens of the state, leaving Ukrainians to starve, oftentimes in the fields that they were working. Meanwhile, outside of the Soviet Union, Everything seemed to be all right. As Richard explained, quote, the Communist Kremlin Central Committee was getting dizzy with success, Stalin quoted, and Walter Durante earned a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting in the New York Times or Chicago Tribune, end quote. The article that Richard mentioned, Dizzy with Success, was published on March 2nd, 1930 by Stalin. I'll put a link to that article over at Based on a True Story podcast if you want to read it. 
And Walter Durante was an English-born but American reporter for the New York Times who worked as the Moscow bureau chief for the paper for 14 years. Despite winning awards for his reporting at that time, it wasn't until the turn of the century that the horrific events in Ukraine started to come into the public's eye, and Walter Durante's Pulitzer Prize was questioned by many. In 2003, the Pulitzer Board issued a statement on the subject, ultimately deciding to let Walter keep his prize posthumously. The decision to let Walter keep the prize for journalism is something that not everyone has agreed with. As Richard commented, quote, Walter Durante was a liar and a bagman for the communist leader Stalin. He was an opium-addicted prosthetic leg womanizer who loved, especially, to entertain and engage with Russian women, end quote. One particular battle of journalism that Walter picked was with a British reporter named Gareth Jones. Gareth had witnessed the famine in Ukraine and reported what was really happening, something that Walter's reports specifically denied. Even this bit of detail was something that Richard offered a nod to in the film. As Richard explained, quote, I paid tribute to Gareth Jones in the movie as an ambiguous journalist on the train that Yuri meets after sketching him, end quote. Now, when it comes to historical accuracy, no one expects a feature film to be entirely true to history. After all, that's the entire premise of the Based on a True Story podcast. There are some scenes in the film that were tributes to Richard's personal life. For example, there's an orphan, Luko, who's played by Jack Hollington, that Yuri happens upon in a forest. Richard's own father was orphaned at only eight years old and wandered around Manitoba, Canada for years as he was in and out of farms and homes for homeless kids. Another great tribute to family in the film was during one of the opening scenes. In the opening minutes, there's a shot of a beautiful sunflower that then pans up to reveal a field full of sunflowers in a village called Smila. Then we see a little boy playing, walking through the field, swinging a wooden sword. The next scene is that same little boy swimming in a nearby river. And before long, we find out that that little boy is the main character, Yuri, as a child. Max Irons, who plays an older Yuri, has a voiceover explaining how things were before he knew that dragons were real. That little boy is a tribute to Richard's son, Yevon, who did many of the things that younger Yuri did in the film. Yevon, like Yuri, was born in Smila, Ukraine, and spent countless hours as a child swinging his wooden sword at the tall sunflowers, pretending they were evil red dragons. If he wasn't slaying dragons in the field, Yevon loved going swimming in the river, again, like the little Yuri that we saw in the film. While Yevon's enemies may have been pretend dragons, with all of the history Richard had uncovered, he knew those dragons were real. Only they came in the form of humans, Lenin, Stalin, and the Bolshevik Red Army. Even though those aren't details based on happenings during Holodomor, they're important to know because they show that every scene has meaning. It may not be meaning understood outside those who remember the horrific events that took place in 1930s, but it's little details like this that help add to the authenticity of the film. While there's no documentation that could ever prove this, surely Yevon wasn't the only little boy growing up in Ukrainian fields fighting evil in the form of red dragons the same fields where blood was shed only decades before. Some movies are more historically accurate than others, of course, 
But ultimately, anyone who's going to see a feature film is wanting to be entertained by the story. While no one minds some learning, generally speaking, historical accuracy and education is largely left for documentaries. With this in mind, I couldn't resist the opportunity to ask Richard what it's like balancing historical accuracy in a film as a writer. On one hand, you have the stories that you know need to be told, the true history. On the other hand, you have an hour and a half or so of entertainment that the audience expects you to offer them. This is perhaps never more true with a story that's so sad. Like any film, there were some scenes that didn't make it into the final edit of the movie. Ultimately, according to Richard, it was something that he tried to balance the story and history and the narrative to be even-tempoed and work together. Richard explained to me his reasoning for writing a fictional love story on top of Hall of Demore instead of trying to find documented characters to base the story on. Quote, In order to have the youth and masses see the film, we needed to have a love story. Ukrainians love, just like Americans, and need that when struggling or starving. To draw human spirituality, godly strength off of, to press on, to live another day. And Godspeed to carry on in his grace to grant strength against such a diabolical evil, satanic as it could get, end quote. Beyond the story, as part of the deal to get the film made, Richard demanded that he was not only the writer, but also a producer. This allowed him to be the one to make the decision to shoot the film solely in Ukraine. As Richard said, Quote, I thought the crews and the land would bring great karma and respect by Ukraine's lost millions of victims and by their crying to the world again in spirit and bring great energy and hopefully God's speed and hand on the film, end quote. As a result, Bitter Harvest not only helps bring this part of Ukrainian history that's been largely forgotten by most of the world to the forefront, but it also helps many of today's Ukrainian creatives shine in the international spotlight, something that is a nod to so many creatives cut down before their time by Stalin's regime. The Holodomor story is one of great loss. It's the story of how the Ukrainian people overcame the horrible tragedies that happened. Sadly, tragic stories are something that many in Ukraine know even today, Richard included. As Richard explained to me, quote, I wrote this film and faced a lot writing it. Thinking of death and dreaming it for years, it was in the Maiden Revolution, seeing firsthand men being shot, carrying them, and assisting in the struggle all winter as the film was shot. Then, after a pause, Richard continued, quote, I was shot at too, as I was carrying tires and fires and up the hill where most were killed, end quote. As a side note, the Maiden Revolution, that's spelled M-A-I-D-A-N, was the Ukrainian Revolution just a few years ago. These life-threatening challenges of making a movie during the 2014 Ukrainian Revolution were just the tip of the iceberg. Ten years prior, in 2004, Richard's mother passed away from brain cancer. Then, in 2012, his father, Yaroslav, was gone. If the name Yaroslav rings a bell, it's because Richard named a character in Bitter Harvest as tribute to his father. That character was played by Barry Pepper in the film and was the father of Yuri. As if that weren't enough tragedy for one family, four of Richard's brothers have passed, the first at age 35 in 1990, then another at only age 45 just a year later. 
and another aged 58 in 2008, and yet another at only 63 in 2015. And there were more, Richard explained to me, some cousins he was close with whose deaths were also way too young. All of this tragedy in a single family, unfortunately, it's not something unique to Richard's family. As Richard said, quote, This haunts me as I tried to write about the death of so many Ukrainians. It compresses it in recent times to be so close to death as I wrote it and imagined the starvation and the stories I have heard that will break any heart. If you saw the eyes and expressions of pain and sorrow like I have truly done in Ukraine to get as much in my soul to write from the heart and to be proud, I'm half Ukrainian and for Ukraine and my lost family to be proud in heaven, I hope." Although some movie critics gave Bitter Harvest less than stellar reviews on its release in theaters, not everyone was so critical. Richard and the other filmmakers received a letter of respect from the Australian ex-Prime Minister Tony Abbott and both the President of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko, and his wife, Marina. The President's wife also attended a party in Kiev for the movie and thanked all of the filmmakers. But film critics, or even politicians, weren't the reviews that truly mattered. At a private screening with his family and friends in his hometown, there were six empty seats besides Richard. As Richard explained, quote, I think mom, dad, and my four brothers are sitting in the seats here today in spirit. I feel they were proud I did it, from ink and drive to silver screen, finally, end quote. Sadly, it was a bittersweet moment. As Richard explained to me, about 85% of the Ukrainian audiences loved the film as it brought tears at every screening. Himself attending some of the screenings, Richard and many of the other filmmakers involved were able to get face-to-face to get a thank you and congratulations for the movie. As Richard concluded, quote, The audience's emotions told us everything. It hit home to them deeply opening old wounds to be cleansed again and to be rewarded in a film with dignity and respecting that we cared about making a film about each of them and their ancestors and for the living proud Ukrainians in the audience. Pity my dad or mom never witnessed the smile on my face when I had the film greenlit, but heaven has its own silver screen and God writes too. And he makes movies up there, I'm sure. With six seats reserved to show our film to the lost victims of Ukraine and elsewhere, I'm sure they all saw the film too. That makes my day here on Earth, and for the survivors today who suffered and their families who are haunted by the stories as I was. Well, light is shining on the Hall of Damore. Mission accomplished. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan LeFebvre. To learn more about the true story behind Bitter Harvest, I would recommend hopping over to the movie's website, where they have a section dedicated to the true story behind the movie. You can also listen to the previous episode on Bitter Harvest, where we dug into the history of Hall of Demore over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. And I'd also like to offer a special thanks to Richard for taking the time to chat with me and for letting me tell his story. Before we get to the answer to the two truths and a lie, let's check out another review. This one comes from Quintopia, who left a five-star review titled, 
Learn more about the stories in film. Quote, Dan tells a great story about the story behind semi-truth-based movies. He gives the creators a very wide berth and identifies divergence from true events with a lot of tolerance, probably more than I would sometimes. If you like movies but are curious and skeptical of the truth behind many so-called true stories, this is a well-done and entertaining podcast, end quote. Thanks so much, Quintopia. <laughs> yeah, I guess sometimes I do give the movies the benefit of the doubt sometimes. But as we've learned in this episode, in particular even, every scene has meaning. It might not always be a meaning we fully understand. For example, as we learned in this episode, some of the characters and scenes pay tribute to Richard's own life and family. And it's not necessarily something that we would be expected to know right away, especially if you're like me in the United States, so far away from the people that it's based on. But sometimes that makes it mean even more for the people who do know Richard's family and friends who know that their story is being told to an international audience. But in the end, I think we can all agree that movies are really intended for entertainment purposes. And that means most of the time, being historically accurate isn't their primary goal. And that's okay. Because, especially in this case, it helps open our eyes to a story and helps give us the inspiration to dig in deeper for ourselves to learn the true story. Thanks again for the review, Quintopia. And thank you, dear listener, for taking the time to find and listen to the Based on a True Story podcast. Finally, it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, some of the scenes in the movie pay tribute to Richard's own family. Number two, the two main characters, Yuri and Natalka, were real people. Number three, the New York Times reporter Walter Durante helped cover up Holodomor for the rest of the world by denying any reports of a famine in Ukraine. Did you find out which one is a lie? The lie is number two. While Yuri being an artist comes from Richard's own artistic background, the characters of Yuri and Natalka are fictional characters to help tell the story of what it was like living during the time of Holodomor. Thanks again for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can join the Based on a True Story Facebook group. You can follow the show on Instagram, which is at Based on a True Story Podcast. Or you can find me directly on Twitter, where I'm at Dan Lefebvre, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B. Or, if you'd prefer, you can shoot me a good old-fashioned email at dan at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon. <laughs>